Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see. Well, we're not seeing you. And we're not hearing from you either. Yeah. We'd like you to leave some kind of a comment, email us, or something to let us know you're listening, and also help us to, to come up with topics we can discuss. Yeah, that's a. Uh, Chuck got right to the point this morning. But yeah, let's. Uh, I had pancakes. <laughs> this is a, another episode of Breakfast Theology, but as Chuck said, we would really encourage uh, some kind of interaction here. So we have an email, breakfasttheology at gmail.com. We also have uh, Facebook comments that we will look at and read and uh, take into consideration. So if you had a topic that you would like us to talk about or. Uh, Questions or concerns or criticism or... A topic that you think we might get wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can, uh, we'll, we'll look at all those things. So if you could uh, interact with us and uh, like and share. Um, so as per usual, welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. I'm Josiah Kane. I'm Chuck Jones, still. <laughs> and uh, we're at IHOP. And I got the two for two for two, two by two by two breakfast. I had a country fried steak. Mm. It wasn't steak, and I don't know that it was necessarily fried the country. <laughs> I lived in the South. Country frying is something I'm familiar with. It's a, it's a poor imitation. Yeah. But, I mean, fried bread is fried bread. It's hard to get around it being good. <laughs> So we're into March, you know, time is... Marching on. Yep. And we thought that uh, this morning we would talk over the book of Hosea a little bit and kind of kind of look at its big themes and uh, some of the interesting parts of it and the, and the good wisdom and story that it, it has held within its pages. Uh, kind of a background, some in background information Hosea lived uh, during the time when the kingdoms were divided. So there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And he lived during the time when Assyria came and took over Israel. And kind of the background to all of this is that, and, and it's kind of explained here in the beginning of the first chapter, but God sees Israel as this faithless woman who, even though he is married and, pro and pro he's proposed and married, he has um, been faithful to, is running away from him and going to idols and other nations. And so he decides to make the most obvious the most obvious statement he can of where the state of things are by by getting this man named Hosea involved and tells him to go marry a prostitute and have kids with her and and that's kind of the story of Hosea that's the base of it now there's some pretty interesting name things going on here uh, Hosea literally means he saves or salvation or salvation which is 
I don't know if that's an accident that he picked someone named Hosea. And then no he has. No accidents. <laughs> there are no accidents. And then he also has uh, three kids. Uh, Jez, Jez, Jezreel, uh, which is the name of a valley where there's some significant, important historical things going on here. So in the, in the valley of Jezreel, a man named Jehu came and cleaned up all of Ahab's descendants and, uh, in Second Kings chapters 9 and 10. You know. When you say cleaned up, you don't mean washed. No, it's not like a ritual cleansing bath. It's more like a ritual cleansing spear. So, uh, so Jehu comes around and cleans up um, Ahab and Jezebel, which are very wicked leaders of Israel. So after uh, Hosea has his first son, Jezreel, uh, they have a daughter, and her name got named Lo-Ruhama, which these aren't like very common names for no, Israelite very, daughters. Very, uh, what's the word? Symbolic. And very symbolic. And her name means uh, kind of like this idea of not loved or no longer loved. This idea of Israel, or God has kind of um, lost favor for Israel, the northern tribe. No and, mercy. Yeah. And, and, I don't know if mercy is a girl's name. It is someplace, I'm sure. But no mercy? <laughs> That'd be kind of <laughs> telling, wouldn't it? <laughs> What'd you name your daughter? No mercy. <laughs> no love. And then we get this third child and a, another son, and his name is Lo Ruhama. And it means uh, not my people. Kind of. Are you looking at verse 9? Yeah. 9 and. Yep, first nine. And that's, these are God's way, this is God's way of hitting the nail right on the head. You know, he's getting right to the point here. He talks about Jezreel, this place where evil was cleaned up. But he also in verse five says, this will one day be the valley where Israel's uh, bow is broken, where they're going to be crushed. And then he says, you're, you're no longer loved by me. You're no longer my people. But then the book of Hosea starts this fantastic journey and story of how God views his people. Yeah. Well, it's partly due that uh, God wants to show the people, give them some real object lessons on what he thinks of idolatry. Yeah. What do you think of idolatry? Oh, take it, leave it. Sometimes, maybe, if it's on TV, I'll watch it. Not a big deal. Yeah. 
not a big deal. Or I'm I don't do it, but I don't try very hard to stay away from it. Yeah. You know. Well, how about fidelity in your marriage? You take that a little more seriously. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's that heavy of a deal with God. Breaking the same level of commitment. Yeah. I mean, how what would you how would you feel if your wife took up with somebody else? Yeah. It wasn't even as good as you. You know. Yeah, it would, it would be hard. It would be crushing. Betrayal. Betrayal on the first order. And that's what Israel did to God. And God is showing that through the life of Hosea. So imagine Hosea being God in this story. He's supposed to represent God. Not that he's perfect and omniscient yeah. or all-powerful, but he's playing the part of God in the relationship. And Gomer, his wife, this prostitute, is Israel. And so he, he takes his harlot, takes his prostitute, he marries her, he brings her off the streets, he gives her home and security and love and cares for her and has kids with her and leaves nothing lacking in her life. Takes really good care of her. Takes really good care of her. And that's what, that's what God decides to do with Israel. Mm -hmm. He sees this, this people with no home, with no inheritance, you know. No future. No future. And he brings them into his fold and he makes them his own. And he saves them and he takes care of them and he promises to look after them as long as they can remain faithful. And as much improved as her Gomer's life became, she still decided to go back to the old one. Yep. In chapter two we see... Uh, Why do people do that? I don't know. You answer that, you'll have a pretty good-sized <laughs> congregation, I'll tell you what. Yeah, so chapter two says, uh, shows what God has done. He says, I've given my lovers bread and water and, and flax and drink and wool and gave her grain and new wine and oil. Just kind of like these things that God has given to provide. And the same with Gomer. You know, Hosea has provided for her in these same ways. And then... Gomer leaves and she goes back to her life of prostitution. She doesn't need the money. She doesn't need anything she's taken care of. But for whatever reason, she's attracted to that lifestyle. Yep. She's attracted and, and urged to keep doing that. And so she leaves her family. She leaves her kids. She leaves her husband. And she goes back into prostitution. Now, I'm really glad that God has called me to, to do things, but I'm super thankful he hasn't asked me to be Hosea, <laughs> you know? Because this is a, a difficult road to walk. Like this would, this would be a, a difficult 
a difficult prophecy to live your life out as. Well, Marion Gomer wasn't the only thing. <clears throat> she forgot. It's what Hosea tells her. God tells Hosea to tell her. Israel forgot. Like in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. God says, I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. But me, she forgot. Hmm. There's actually some really interesting... In the, in the beginning of the New Testament, in, or sorry, in the beginning of the Old Testament, where God is setting up the nation of Israel, he asks them to do specific things so that they won't forget him, Spe specifically. And then Joshua or Moses comes along and they say, you're not going to be able to do this. You're going to turn away from your God. You're going to forget. Not us. Yeah, not us. And then it comes around. They do. God knows the heart of his people. He knows what we're made of. And as you said, Gomer's this perfect example. She, for, she forgot. She just didn't realize it anymore, what had been done. And so she goes away. And Gomer, or and Hosea comes from her. God says, go back and get her, you know even though she doesn't she doesn't want this right now even though she's running away i'm still want you to go get her and then the crazy thing is hosea shows up and this guy says if you want her back you have to pay me he's like what do you she's my wife you know, and she came here voluntarily, and now you want me to pay you for her? That's the, like, it's bad enough that God has asked you to marry a prostitute, and then she runs away from you, back to a prostitution. And then you get there to bring her back, and then you have to pay for her again. You got a redeemer? Yeah, like, but that's what God does for us. And Hosea pays, and takes his wife back and well, brings yeah. her back. You're a metal worker of sorts. Yep. Let's say you spend your time making something very useful, very well crafted, and somebody steals it. And you find out who stole it, and you confront them and they say, well, listen, I'll sell it back to you. Exact, that's exactly what it is. Yep. And, but God says, do it, Hosea. Pay for her. There's just kind of like, you get this immense vision of the reality of the situation with Israel and God. Yep. Us and God. Us and God. I think you can apply Hosea most of it today. Mm -hmm. To today. In one way or another. Yeah. You see, uh, see many people who have been professed Christians who 
who have changed their lives and, and seem to be trying to follow God's paths, and then they stop for whatever reason. They forget, you know? Yeah. And they, they go back to their the way that they were living before as if nothing had happened. Yeah. As if their life wasn't changed. Well, you know, there's that new old saying, don't look back. Yeah. But you got to remember. I think Paul does a fine job of that in Ephesians, making us remember where we came from. And in Titus, he has, goes through the same exercise. We were once, once we were, but now we're not. So looking back is always useful in going yep. forward. Yeah, remembering how your life has been changed. It's a constant reminder of where your life is and, and how much it has been changed for the better because of God. Yep. The life of Hosea would have been extremely hard. And it's not like God has this prophet come and tell this parable. You know, it's not like Hosea prophesied to the people, here is a story about a man who had a wife that was a prostitute. She ran away and he went back and bought her. Because that wouldn't have had the same effect as if you lived in the same city as Hosea. Like, you, let's imagine you live in the same, on the same block as Hosea. I mean, these were smaller communities. You knew what was going on. And you know, you know who Gomer is, you know? And one day he comes up and marries her. And you're like, what in the world is Hosea thinking? Because there's plenty of other women out there in this city that are not prostitutes. And then they have kids and they have these weird names. You know? They go to school with your kids. You know? And Jezreel is going to school with David over there. Yeah. And, uh, and Natan. And... Uh, then Gomer leaves. This is the scandal that's going on in the city. Oh, Gomer left Hosea, and she's going back into prostitution. And then Hosea goes and gets her again. Like, can you imagine being around this situation? Well, I, I thought about what if Hosea was a pastor? And this was being played out before a church group. Yeah. You think gossip would rise? <laughs> yeah. Imagine if it was a modern-day pastor. Imagine if... He married a prostitute. Yeah. And then they have kids, and they name one of them Armageddon. You know, one of them No Love. And the other one, no people, or something like that. Yeah. Or abandoned, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and they have these weird names. And then his wife goes off and be a prostitute again. And then he, he drives to Kentucky, where he drives to wherever she is, and picks her up and brings her home. Imagine the statement that would have made. Yeah. Kind of shows you how big of a deal this would have been. Yep. You had to been, he would have had to have been serious about it. 
Yeah. In doing what God asked them to do. Mm-hmm. Or told them to do, depending on your, your take. Yeah. The thing is, though, no matter how extreme this appears to be in our minds, it's still not as extreme as the situation between God and Israel. Right. You it's, know, we always make it worse when it affects us personally. You know, we, we hear about a person's life and how difficult it is, and we might have some empathy with them and say, yeah, that's really tough. I feel bad for them. But if we were going through it, oh boy, could we make that something big and miserable and yep. really magnify the problem. Mm-hmm. God is serious about idolatry. Yes, he is. And it comes in all kinds of forms. You know, more obvious in the days of Israel, in the story of Hosea, in chapter 4 it talks about how they went up onto the mountaintops and burned incense or you know made sacrifices to those gods or burned incense under the oak tree you know very obvious idol worship like in the literal definition like worshipping a carved image or something well they were worshipping the golden golden cows yes they were and Israel set up their own said, place. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Yeah. Well, with such confidence and hey, we can worship this thing. The boss said it was okay. Yeah. That was one of the big no-nos that Israel did was set up another place of worship and set yeah. up these idols. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting history. When Solomon's son was going to be king and his his young buddy said man raise the taxes we got to have more than what your dad had imagine that the american dream back then mm. you got to be better off than your parents makes the american dream sound not so american yeah. or not so dreamlike well and so he was fixing to do that but then his father's uh, counselors came to him and said, oh, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. But he didn't listen to them. Yep. So he did. Well, that caused uh, Jeroboam to pull some of the people away to Samaria and start a, the northern kingdom with what, ten, ten, ten tribes, tribes followed him. Well, I'm thinking it was a political move because he didn't want people going back to the temple, which they had to do periodically during the year. So mm -hmm. he, he set up worship in Samaria yep. and had to have that golden calf. <laughs> Boy, I wouldn't want to tell that lie to anybody, but he did so that they wouldn't go back down to Jerusalem. So it was a move to keep them from practicing true religion. It was wrong in two ways. Yeah. Idol worship intentionally meant to deceive people into not following God. Yep. Well, uh, that gold, golden calf worship, I don't know if they had one or two. They might have had two. but. Jeroboam 
wanted to set himself up as just as good as Jerusalem. And it, in the New Testament, there's that question that the lady at the well asked Jesus, do we worship here or up on the mountain? And that's a reference to what was going on in Hosea's time. Mm -hmm. Our fathers say the mountain's a place to worship. Yeah. No. But, uh, and then Jesus replies in spirit and truth. Yeah. Not here nor there. But everywhere. With the right attitude. So that's kind of the that's kind of the story of Hosea in a nutshell. Is this continued pursuit of a people who despise God or who continue to run away. Uh-huh. And warnings turn <coughs> back, and and warnings uh, to Judah as well, the southern tribe, yeah. to not follow suit. Don't get too proud of yourself there. At least I'm not as bad as them guys. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And of course, Israel doesn't turn back, and I think as a, a punishment, they get taken over. You know. God decides to, well, it's not like he wants to, but he set up a, a covenant with them. As long as you continue to be my people, I'm going to continue to protect you. Yep. And the covenant is broken by the Israelites, and Assyria comes and takes them over. And they would have taken over Hezekiah and the southern kingdom as well. Yep. But uh, he turned back to God and he, he brought praise to him instead of all this idol worship and they, they were spared at least for a little bit longer until you know, the Babylonians came and took over them some years later. So, well there's a, it's not that long of a book. Yeah. And a person could sit down and, and go through the, read the whole thing in one setting pretty easily yeah but there's a lot of metaphor similes in it that are worth I think finding and considering chapter 5 verse 10 the princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark so what does it mean well you know a landmark would be like the boundary between your property and mine mm-hmm. so I'm out one night wandered through the I bumped into this landmark so I pull it out of the ground and I walk towards your house and then I put it back in the ground or accidentally nudge the rock a few inches over I was looking up um, harlot and it's used 16 times harlot or harlotry in the book of Hosea and there isn't one good one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's not. So like Hosea 9.1 says, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exultation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved harlot's earnings on every threshing floor. So it's, it kind of reminds me of, or it makes me think of modern day pleasantries the things that come with living a worldly life and that would be 
the harlot's earnings, you know? Yeah. The comfort, the entertainment, the feeling of intoxication, you know, there's a lot of these. You want to be able to say, Alexa, turn up the heat. <laughs> so there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of these comforts and things today that um, the world tells us that we should look for and work to earn. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever be so lazy as, a, as not to be able to tell my wife, get up and adjust the <laughs> thermostat. You're going to get yourself in trouble, Chuck. <laughs> but yeah. And, I, and so Hosea is a specific story to the Israelites at a specific time. But it's applicable to us today just as yeah. much as it was to them. Yeah. Because people don't change. No. But yeah, maybe there's um, something calling you. Something trying to call you away from what you know is the correct pursuit. And it could cause you to play the harlot because you like the harlot's earnings. You know? Yeah. Just, just kind of like these real strong words are used in Hosea. Right? Really strong and disgusting metaphors, you know? Yeah. It's kind of God has been working with his people for hundreds of years. And it's only glimpses of when things are going well, you know? And the rest of the time, he's trying to bring them to himself. Yeah, I was looking at chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Ephraim also is like a silly dove <laughs> without sense. They call to Egypt and they call to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down to the birds of the air down like birds of the air, will chastise them according to what their congregations has heard. Hmm. You see this idea of where Israel, Ephraim is a, mm -hmm. uh, a way of saying that, yeah. that portion of the country. So they're like a, a silly dove who calls for Egypt and Assyria to come and help them, to, to, to take care of them when they have God to take care of them. It's like this idea of Israel wanting a king and, you know, Samuel is all upset about this because he's like, they've turned their back on me and God's like, they didn't turn their back on you, they turned their back on me because I'm their king, you know? Yeah. And they're like, oh, Egypt and Assyria, they'll protect us. They're God's, a big army. God's, God's like, I'll protect you. Yeah. You had some uh, things you wanted to say about the last chapter, right? Oh, well, yeah, you know, and there's a lot in between chapter 7 and chapter 14, for sure. A lot of twists and turns. But... Uh, Israel finally is restored. And there we have that word restoration again. Mm. 
they are restored. Well, you look at chapter 13 and verse 16. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword, their little ones will be dashed into pieces, and their pregnant woman will be ripped open. Yeah, that's kind of graphic, isn't it? It is. It's a little, do you think that's too much for a morning show? <laughs> I don't know. Certainly is. it is graphic, but it is it's a true prophecy of what was to come when Assyria came and forcefully took over that's Samaria. Right. That's what happened. The Syrians were notoriously ruthless and, and violent. Well, you know, the way they treated women, no wonder Ruth didn't want to go with them. Yeah. They were ruthless. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if any if any woman <laughs> were, were down for the deal. Yeah. So in chapter 14, we see Israel being restored. Yeah. And it's a kind of a lovely pattern, a lovely song, poem, whatever. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And it, it, I, I find that to be a little uh, comforting. A great sin, and God called it, oh, you just stumbled. Oh, it was just a mistake. Yeah. You're not so far gone that you're unredeemable. Right. You haven't fallen and hit your head on the rock and passed out on the road. You just stumbled a little bit. You stumbled because of your iniquity. So take words with you and return to the Lord. There's no major sacrifice you have to make. There's no great service you have to perform. No yeah. epic quest you've got to go out and return from. You take words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Remove from my record all my sins. We're acknowledging the sin, acknowledging the iniquity, or just ask God take it off my record. Don't, don't make any mention of that and receive us graciously for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips now that's interesting in, in verse 2 there we will offer the sacrifices of our lips what's your say present the fruit of our lips you have a footnote um, it does, but it doesn't really help us understand it anymore. We talk about calves. Yeah, lips of our bulls. The sacrifices, yeah. Well, our lips as bulls, yeah, like as sacrifices. Assyria shall not save us. <coughs> Talking about going to Assyria for protection, mm -hmm. for relief, for help. Well, now they're confessing that Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. All the things we were guilty of, 
Yeah. We're not going to do anymore. A pretty solid confession, I think. Yeah. For in you, the fatherless find mercy. The orphans. Yeah. You know, God's got a sense of humor. He does. He made a platypus. <laughs> Beaver yeah. duck that lays eggs. The uh, thing I was thinking about was the fatherless here. And I don't know exactly where you would find it, but God says, you do what's the right thing to do, or your wife and children will be a widow and orphans. You know, so you got to think about that a minute. What does that mean for my wife to be a widow? <laughs> yep. Oh. Okay. <laughs> the fatherless find mercy. And then he says, because they return to me, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. First John 1 John 1.9. You're familiar with 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And that's really what God is looking for here in these finer chap final chapters. He's giving Israel words to say to him. Yep. Like these, he's like, take these words, take them with you and return to me. Like here's, here's how I want you to be. That same idea of confession and coming back as we saw, as we see in 1 John. In verse 4, 14, chapter 14, verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. Mine says apostasy instead of backsliding, which has this like... Well, yours is a highly, definitely a more intellectual translation. <laughs> Right. But apostasy has this idea of like un unsurmountable separation. You know, like this completely falling away, like complete separation. But God God's gonna heal that even to that point. What does verse five mean? I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. What is what is the do a good thing? Yeah. To me, I hate do. Why? You hate me? <laughs> I hate do. Because in the mornings, when I would go to the bus, there would be dew on the ground, and, and I would have to walk through the grass, and then my shoes would get all wet. Stay on the driveway. Well, I had to walk through the grass to get to the bus. <laughs> there was no other way. I mean, without taking a long way around. Your dad wouldn't buy you boots? I don't want to bring two pairs of shoes, you know. Or like on warm days, you know, you don't want to wear boots with your shorts. Yeah. <laughs> but in the, uh, in the Bible, do is, I think, considered one of those things that are refreshing. In the morning, especially. And it gives, 
dew does give life to plants because sometimes in countries where it doesn't rain as much, it's that condensation that gives life, gives water. Um, there's this region uh, of Peru, there's the, the Andy Mountains that kind of separate the rain on one side from the other. And there would be no water, like it doesn't rain there, but there's still vegetation because the condensation of the dew every morning provides enough enough water to cause that those plants to grow. Yeah. And so that's what he's talking about here. Yeah. I will be like the dew to Israel. And he shall grow like the lily. So it's going to be some sustaining, mm -hmm. nourishing relationship here that God's going to do with Israel. He's going to take roots like the cedar of Lebanon. Yeah. His shoots will sprout. His beauty will be like the olive tree, as fragments like the cedar of Lebanon. And those who dwell under his shadow shall return. Yeah. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. This renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Just kind of like all these well-known cultural things. Kind of imagine some of the, the major things that uh, we, we know today. So like the redwood forest or, you know, like these, these tall trees, like they will take root like a sequoia tree, you know, just kind of like these huge trees with huge roots, you know, like the most amazing flower you can imagine, the smell of that, or, you know, the best wine from Napa Valley or, you yeah. know, just like the best of the best, the, the things that our country is known for agriculturally. You know, you'll be like the protective fields of Ohio, you know, yeah. the Midwest, the breadbasket of the world. Then there's going to be a, a change of thinking. Well, in a restoration, conversion situation, there has to be a change in thinking. And that's what we see in verse 8. Ephraim is going to say, what have I to do anymore with idols? Now I realize what I've got. Why do I need to go back to those things? Paul uses the, the term weakened beggarly elements. Mm. Yeah. You stayed at the Ritz-Carlton and now you want to go to Motel 6? <laughs> yep. And then 9 is kind of like this end cap that ties everything together. Kind of like the final summation of words that God is, is, is giving to his people. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know. For the, ways, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors, but transgressors will stumble in them. I love it when the Bible makes it easy to understand something. Yep. You know, like, they elaborate, they go on, they talk about it, and that gives you the meat, and then they say, but really, this at its core is what this is. Whoever is wise, let him understand these words. That sounds just like 
a proverb, you know, just starting just like a proverb. Whoever's discerning, let him know them. Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. Who has eyes, let him see. And that, we see that all over the Bible. And then it follows it up with one of the most, or with a absolute true statement. For the ways of the Lord are right. That's it. Uh, Psalm 19, I think, even says that in so many words. Yeah. The second half of Proverbs 19. I'm preparing a message in Ecclesiastes this week for yeah. my sermon, and that's kind of the same thing. You know, after all has been said, let's follow God and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. Let's have an end to this. Yep. Okay. Fear God and keep his commandments. Perfect. Ta-da. Yeah. Like I've, I've said before, that it's simple, not because it's easy to do, but so we can remember it. Yeah. The crazy thing is we keep needing reminding. <laughs> crazy thing, yeah. Well, there was another Old Testament prophet. I don't remember who it was, but he ends up his book by saying, even if the fig trees fail, even if the olive trees... Habakkuk 3.17, I think, is what you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Will the fig tree not blossom? Yeah, I love this. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will jump for joy. Even if... Even if I don't get my way. Even if I have to do something I don't want to do. Even if it's not pleasant for me. Even if it doesn't put a smile on my face immediately. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Jump for joy. There's a story that's coming to my head, but I'm missing all the details that would make it important. You have a title? Oh, Job. It's the story of Job. Um, Steve Jobs? <laughs> oh. So, Job. <laughs> Job, uh, he loses everything. And all of his friends who are sorry counselors indeed say that this is your fault because you're a sinner and they say you sh and his wife says curse God and die yep just die and instead he goes and gives praise to God and worships him after he lost everything the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord kind of like imagine your income was on commission and no one bought anything that month you're not going to get paid yep that's the way that works and then you still come and praise god you know not dependent on your situation but dependent on your faith yep dependent on who your faith is in and the true understanding of that person and the true understanding of that being you yeah. know like God, That's a fact. God's going to take care of you. He will provide. He will ultimately take care of you in the long run. Yeah. Yep. In the kingdom to come. So anything else you feel like we uh, 
just send us those cards and letters, yep. emails and comments. Yeah. Thanks for uh, listening to another episode of Breakfast Theology. I, as Chuck said, I really encourage you to interact with us. And uh, we hope that you catch us next week on our next episode. But until then. Yes. Go ahead. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for financial support. Just a little verbal support. (laughs) That's all. That's all we want. So until next time, uh, thanks for listening again. Yes. Bye now. Bye.